Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, am I happy to be here today. I am healthy. I've just come off a few days of being miserably sick, <laughs> sick in the body. I'm always sick in the head, but sick in the body, and I'm feeling much better today. Wow, health is everything, and I'm so grateful to start feeling human again today, and I'm excited to be here with you all, feeling good, feeling healthy. I hope you're feeling good and feeling healthy, because without our health, we got nothing, right? So let's stay healthy out there, people. Still learning to talk, still getting my uh, tongue working here. Thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. And I am so grateful for you here today. Today, we have yet another auditorial. As you know, last week of every month, I try to get on a soapbox, my soapbox, and talk about something that's on my mind. And I've got something that's on my mind that I want to share that I call the power of dress rehearsal. Yes, today we are gonna talk about the power of dress rehearsal, which of course is a reference to the theater arts. It's, you know, whether you're an actor, stage actor, musical uh, performer, usually in the theatrical arts, it's very commonplace to have a dress rehearsal before the big opening. And that's a powerful, powerful exercise that I wanna talk about and put it in a practical context here for you today. So stay tuned for that. Before I get into it, of course, I want to encourage you to go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you, man. We've got some incredible art exhibitions every month. The first Fridays of every month, we drop an amazing monthly online art exhibition. So please go check out that programming for you. Also, of course, please check out the remote series by Badir McCleary, the one and only Badir McCleary. It's a fantastic video series exclusively available on notrealart.com. Badir explores the power and the role of public art in public spaces all over the country and the world. And uh, he's done an incredible job visiting places like Philly and DC and you know San Antonio and Houston and LA. So check him out, it's a fantastic series. And, you know, we got all kinds of stuff there for you. So please, please, please go check it out. Also, of course, be sure to check out our friends at Artsville. You may not know this, but we produce a podcast and a blog called Artsville, featuring and celebrating American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville, North Carolina and beyond. You can check it out at artsvilleusa.com. Please go check them out whenever you get a chance. Okay, let's get into this because I'm feeling healthy, I already said this, 
And I was in New York last week dealing with some work stuff, some very exciting work stuff, which I'll, I guess, fill you in at some point. But I was having a conversation with somebody and we were talking about, you know, a few things and this topic came up and I started relating a story that I hadn't told in a long time. And the person I was telling it to was actually impressed by the story and thought there was real value in it. And I thought it might make a good auditorial. And so I wanted to share it with you here today. As I've already said, the power of dress rehearsal. Now, what the heck do I mean? Well, for those of us who have, you know, had our time on stage, you know, you know, when I was a young man, junior high, high school, was a thespian and enjoyed uh, quite a bit of fun on stage in plays and musicals. It was one of the highlights of my high school career. Of course, you know, I wasn't talented enough to really make it a professional career, but man, did I love being on stage and performing incredible shows like King and I and uh, Hair and Grease and Lunatics at Large and just all kinds of fun things. And of course, we had a dress rehearsal. And that dress rehearsal, right, before the big opening night was critical, was vital to getting it right, to performing up to a level of excellence. It was a way of bringing everything together and working out all the last minute kinks before the big day. And so the dress rehearsal, that concept, you know, is really a powerful one. And it dawned on me the other day that that exercise and that approach can be applied very practically in life. And I used it one time in particular that I want to tell you about because it might be helpful to somebody out there. Years ago, when I moved to Los Angeles from Chicago in 2001, I had been working as a brand strategist for a boutique brand strategy consultancy out of London in Chicago called Web Scarlet. And I had helped open the Chicago studio and we did very well. And then when I moved to LA, I opened the LA studio and our clients were amazing. We were a small firm, but we did tier one, uh, world-class firm working with, you know, power brands, fortune 50 companies, Procter and Gamble, Coca-Cola, Gillette, Seagram's, you know, on and on and on. And we developed brands and packaging and all kinds of consumer products related brand elements. And so I had been a quote unquote agency guy since I came out of college. I was freelancing for many years, then eventually ended up going full time and finding my niche and my success around brand strategy and business development and really enjoyed that time in my life. Worked with some incredible people, worked on some incredible brands. Maybe you're familiar with Organic Valley. That was us. That was my client. We did all that branding and still do. They still have that client. <laughs> Sam Adams. Sam Adams was a client. We rebranded Boston Lager. We launched Sam Adams Light. The Wine Cube at Target, one of Target's best-selling products, that was mine. I launched that with Target and Trinchero Family Estates. It's still on the shelf. It's an incredible product. And, you know, I could go on and on. And so being an agency guy was always, for me, coming, being a Chicago guy, you know, advertising, 
marketing coming up in the 80s and the 90s. Like that was the cool job for a kid like me. And I loved being an agency guy. Loved it. Uh, it was always fun and cool because you'd go into the client meeting and, you know, people are excited to see us because we were bringing the fun stuff, right? We were bringing the designs and we were bringing the creative, right? And so it was fun. It was a very special time. And when I moved to L.A., and opened the LA studio. We were doing very well. And, but eventually, you know, we evolve, we change, we grow. And I grew bored of the same same. I grew bored with some of the interagency politics. I grew bored with uh, just some of the clients, some of the things. I was looking for a new challenge. And one day I get a call from a recruiter, a headhunter that's looking to staff a position a brand strategy position at a healthcare company here in California called Kaiser Permanente. Now, I'm a Midwest Chicago guy. I've you know, moved to LA. I was not familiar at all. You know, I had never heard of Kaiser Permanente being a Midwesterner. Kaiser's not in the Midwest, or at least they weren't at that time. So when I moved to California, I started seeing these buildings that sort of looked like hospitals, seemed to perform like hospitals. But then they had this horrible name on the top of the building called Kaiser Permanente. And I thought, well, it looks like a hospital, but that is a horrible name for a hospital. <laughs> so mm, branding issues galore. So, OK, fine. No big deal. Well, one day I get a call from this headhunter who's seeing if I might be interested in a brand strategy position there at Kaiser Permanente. And, you know, I was intrigued. Uh, I wanted to learn more. I started to ask around. And it's interesting. You know, Kaiser Permanente is one of those organizations that people either love or they hate. And I would talk to people and they all had very personal stories. I, you know, talked to people, of course, who hated Kaiser, you know, for any number of reasons. You know, usually the primary complaint is that they ration care and they didn't give me the care that I thought I deserved because it didn't, you know, fit the HMO, you know, program and they used evidence-based medicine and cookbook medicine and all of this stuff, right? That was the big part of the complaints that I heard. And by the way, you know, it's an old organization. So, you know, at that time, 60, 70 years old and, you know, inevitably, you know, if you're a healthcare company that's been around 60 years, you know, you're going to have upset a few people along the way, no doubt, right, when you're dealing with life and death issues. However, I talked to other people who loved Kaiser, said it's the best healthcare company ever. In fact, my father-in-law was emphatic. He said, you have got to work for Kaiser Permanente. They are a, a fantastic organization. When my wife, my mother-in-law, was dealing with some cancer issues. Kaiser saved her life and we love Kaiser. And so it was very interesting as a brand guy because to be able to work on a brand that was, you know, both loved and hated felt like a really interesting challenge. And so, you know, jumping to the client side as an agency guy was a big step because when you're an agency person, it's, you know, you're, creative, you're fun, you're cool, you kind of come and go and it's, you know, you're groovy and you're on trend and you're looking for trends and you're helping companies innovate and, and be part of the consumer zeitgeist, if you will. And so going from a cool agency environment over to the client side, let alone healthcare, seemed really daunting and didn't seem like something I really wanted to do. 
However, I was looking for a change. And I also knew that the compensation package they were offering was very enticing, very appealing and say nothing of the healthcare benefits and things like this. And so I had to really give it a deep think. I had to really, you know, ponder this. And so I did, I took it very seriously. And I was living in Santa Monica at the time and the job was going to be in Pasadena, which for those of you who aren't familiar with the Los Angeles geography, that ain't close. <laughs> From Santa Monica to Pasadena is a heck of a drive depending on traffic, easily 45 minutes, if not more, and usually more. And so, you know, there was a lot to process. It's like, you know, do I continue to, you know, run my own shop as I have been doing, or do I want to get in a car and drive 45 minutes one way to work at a healthcare company that I've never heard of? And so it was a stressful time. I was curious. So I figured, you know, hey, if I'm curious, I should research this. I should do some due diligence. Let me do a dress rehearsal. Let me just do some research and some due diligence and understand firsthand what this experience might be like. Because at the end of the day, right, commuting and working at a job and the people and the environment and the culture and the industry, you know, creates a certain experience, right? Creates a certain vibe, if you will, a certain energy force, if you will. And so I wanted to get a sense of what that might be. And so literally the day before my interview, I decided to do a dress rehearsal. And I put on some decent clothes, <laughs> maybe not interview decent, but you know, professional looking clothes, or as we call it, business casual, I think is what they say. And I got in my car and I drove from Santa Monica, California to Pasadena, California. And I got a feel for that commute. And it wasn't nice. <laughs> it was not good. But I got there. And then once I got there to the address, it was kind of what I feared. It was a bunch of nondescript kind of corporate buildings, four big buildings. The overall neighborhood that it was in, which is called Old Town Pasadena, is actually quite interesting and nice. A lot of character. But these buildings were, were not nice. And so I eventually found a parking spot in the parking garage because I wanted to park exactly where I would be parking if I worked there. And I really wanted to get a feel for what this experience would be like, right? So I parked and I went in to the building and there was a big lobby and there was off the lobby, of course, there was like a bodega store, you know, convenience store, you could get snacks or whatever. There was, of course, the front desk for the lobby that you'd have to check in if you were going to go into the building. And then there was all kinds of people coming and going. And then, of course, there was a sitting area, for, you know, because it's a lobby area and people were sort of sitting, waiting for their meetings. And so I decided to go and find a seat in the lobby and sit and watch and learn. So I sat and I just watched. I watched the wildlife. <laughs> I watched the landscape. I watched the scenery go by because I wanted to see what I would see. I wanted to see what I would learn. And I was sitting there and I sat there for, I don't know, maybe close to an hour. 
maybe 45 minutes, but for a while. And I watched these rather corporate looking folks, you know, the kind of appearance that you might expect, you know, from a healthcare company. By the way, no doctors or nurses running around. It wasn't like a care delivery place. It was a corporate office. You know, this was all about, you know, administration and marketing and, you know, all that operational stuff. So all the people there were sort of dressed more in a casual or a business attire, not in scrubs or medical attire. Right. So I sat there and I watched and people were coming and going from their meetings. People were coming and going from the convenience store to get their snacks. People were chit-chatting. The one thing everybody had in common was that everybody was wearing their ID badges, you know, their Kaiser Permanente ID badges, security badges to come and go from the doors. And, and it sort of started to you know, remind me of all of the things that, you know, I sort of lament about being a, a suit, you know, about being a corporate monkey, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be a suit. I'm better than that. And so I sat there and I just absorbed the energy. I sat there and I watched and I learned so much. And the key lesson, the key learning that I took away was that there was no way in hell that I wanted to work at Kaiser Permanente. <laughs> Certainly not this office, in this place, in this job. And so after about an hour of sitting there and absorbing, certainly given the commute I had there, because remember, I had to drive 45 minutes or so to get there. And then I'm sitting there and I'm seeing this sort of mediocre corporate, kind of sterile, homogenized kind of, you know, environment, beige on gray, on beige, on white, on, you know, brown. And I was like, no way, this is not for me. And so I decided to pull up stakes, get in my car and drive home. And I drove home with absolute clarity and absolute certainty that this was not what I wanted and not right for me. And yet my interview was the next day. Now, a lot of people might say, well, did you cancel your interview? No, heck no, I didn't cancel my interview because you always take the meeting. It's another bit of advice. Always take the meeting. It never hurts to take the meeting. And I had made a commitment to do the interview. So I was going to keep my commitments. Good to keep your commitments as well. Keep your promises, people. So I decided, well, okay, this job isn't for me, but I'm going to do this interview. And what was amazing was that I had this whole weight lifted off my shoulders, off my mind, because I knew what I wanted. Or in this case, I knew what I didn't want, which was this job. <laughs> And so I was able the next day to put on my interview attire, get in my car, drive to this interview with complete relaxation. I was not stressed on any level. I was completely relaxed because I had nothing to lose because I was not going to take the job, even if they offered it to me. And I didn't even care about trying too hard because I wasn't going to take the job anyway. But I did want to take the meeting and I did want to, you know, keep my promises and, and, you know, cause Hey, maybe I'll learn something new and maybe be, some, you know, maybe that'll be interesting. And okay, cool. So like I said, I drive 
to Pasadena for the for my interview. I park, I go in, and I'm I think I look pretty good. I had, you know, like I said, a little business casual, you know, clothes on. I think I looked appropriate for the interview. And I went to that same lobby and I sat there. And guess what? Because of my dress rehearsal, it was familiar territory. It was familiar landscape, right? So I was totally relaxed. I was sitting there enjoying myself, not nervous at all. Finally, a woman comes out. This woman, Christy, comes out. Christy Cruz, shout out Christy Cruz, comes out and gets me for the meeting, for the interview, takes me back to this very corporate kind of open floor plan kind of office that was the perimeter of this big kind of open floor corporate office space around the perimeter were either private offices for managers or executives, but really it was just like a lot of conference rooms. And so she took me into one of these conference rooms and there was a big long conference table and around the conference table were eight people that I've never seen before in my life. And I apparently am being interviewed by a panel of eight people and they welcome me and I sit down for this interview. And I start looking at the people around me and, huh, they don't look at all like what I thought they would look like because they didn't look like corporate executives necessarily. They kind of looked like me. They sort of looked like agency people. And they reminded me of, of my colleagues and my peers. And as I'm sitting in the meeting, talking to these folks, they explained to me that they're building this internal agency inside Kaiser Permanente because Kaiser's so big. It was uh, at that time, 9 million members, heck, uh, 150,000 employees, something like that, you know, 60 billion in revenue. And they were doing a complete rebrand and launching a new advertising campaign and the whole thing. And they're so big and complex that they were building this internal agency. Yes, they had external agencies, advertising agencies, so on and so forth. But they needed an internal team to help with this massive rebrand and to operationalize the new strategy and all these really important things. And... A funny thing happened in that meeting because as I'm talking to these people and I'm learning more and I'm getting to know them, my mind's starting to change. I'm starting to realize that this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Actually, this is pretty damn cool what they're trying to do. These people are cool. They're smart. They're obviously creative. I can relate to them. We all have similar backgrounds because they had all come from agencies and I was going to be a part of this brand new initiative, this brand new team on the ground floor of this internal agency at this massive $60 billion Kaiser Permanente Healthcare organization. And suddenly, in that middle of that meeting, everything shifted. I went from being absolutely certain I did not want this job to absolutely certain that I did want this job. And the meeting was going so well. And by the time the meeting lasted for, I don't know, well over an hour. And by the time I was leaving, I was so happy and I so wanted that job. And guess what? I got that job. I got the offer and I took it. 
And I ended up being there for seven years. <laughs> seven years. And I did some of the best work of my career. Some of the projects that I'm most proud of, I did at Kaiser Permanente. And I won't bore you with them now. Someday you'll talk about them. But it was a fantastic experience. But I believe wholeheartedly that the reason that that meeting was so successful was because I went there completely relaxed, confident in the environment. I knew the environment. I was familiar with the environment, the people, the energy, the vibe of the place. And while I was you know, certain I didn't want the job, and so I wasn't nervous about that, I just was relaxed. I was relaxed going into this meeting. I was presenting my best self because I didn't feel like I had anything to lose and I was my authentic self. And turns out that was exactly what was needed and what was appropriate and what they were looking for. And I got the job offer and I took the job and I was there seven years. So the power of the dress rehearsal is key here, people. If you find yourself in a situation where you're nervous, you've got a big meeting, you've got a big interview, you've got a big presentation, and you want to alleviate or mitigate some of those nerves, some of that anxiety, I encourage you, if you can, to try to do a dress rehearsal. Try to do a dress rehearsal. And you know, I also did a dress rehearsal in my wedding. <laughs> what the heck am I talking about? Well, you know, for me anyway, speaking for myself, getting married was a big deal. I was excited. I was nervous. I knew I was going to marry the right person. But having a wedding, you know, doing the thing, you know, it's a lot, right? It's nerve wracking. And, you know, it's about, let's, you know, for in a traditional conventional sense, the, you know, wedding is about the bride, you know, generally more than the groom, right? So to speak. And, and yet I didn't believe that really. I, it's my day too. And I've always told, you know, my male friends who are getting married, don't forget that this is your day too. But prior to the wedding, Prior to the nuptials, I found time to go and sit in one of the chairs in the audience, not you know, a few rows back from the stage and the altar where the ceremony and the nuptials were going to take place. And I just sat there and I basked in the room and I basked in the scenery of it all. And I took it all in and I was processing what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what was about to take place there and the the sacredness of these nuptials and this, this commitment that I was going to make to this other human and sitting there and processing and being there alone and being able to take all that in, you know, three hours, four hours prior to the actual ceremony allowed me to be so much more relaxed and so much more present in my own wedding because I had taken that time to do a so-called dress rehearsal and sit there and just take it all in. So the main point here, folks, is that if you've got a big event coming up, if it's an interview, if it's a meeting, if it's a presentation, if it's your wedding, try to find some time to do a dress rehearsal. Try to find some time to go and experience what 
that journey is going to be like, what that experience is going to be like, what that commute is going to be like, what's parking going to be like, who are these people I'm going to be working with? What is this company and in what neighborhood is it in? And do I even want to spend time there? Because while the money was nice and attractive, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough until I met the people and I learned about the projects and the work. Suddenly then the money wasn't even the point, right? Because I wasn't going to take the job you know, even with the money. But then when I met the people and I understood and I got more information, I did my due diligence and I did that dress rehearsal, everything shifted. And taking that time, taking that effort to experience and go through the motions, if you will, and do that dress rehearsal is going to be hugely powerful for you in terms of giving you confidence and giving you empowering you and giving you agency to go and be confident and present well and be present and enjoy the process. It's just going to take the edge off. Take the edge off, people. (laughs) We can do this. And the power of a dress rehearsal is just that. It helps you take the edge off. That's why we did it in high school, because we weren't so nervous opening night because we had done it a couple of times already in rehearsal. And so... Apply that lesson to your life, apply that lesson to your work, apply that lesson to your lifestyle and how you go about making some of these key decisions because a dress rehearsal will give you information that you just can't get otherwise. And that information, that data is really going to help you process and make more informed decisions, educated choices, and take that edge off so that you can be confident and empowered and present during the moment of truth. That's it. That's all I have to say. (laughs) That's today's auditorial. Take it or leave it. Just trying to be helpful here, people. Just trying to pass along a little learning, a little lesson, a little experience that I found helpful in my life, in my career, and maybe you will too. This is Sourdough signing off. Over and out. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.